that is why I make it a point of being on every platform that I can handle because I never know where they are going to find me or why. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? Let me break it down. A good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. In today's episode, we're actually covering the creator's point of view with a creator, Lorraine Laddish. She is a bilingual writer, influencer, and CEO of Viva 50, which is an online community for those celebrating life at 50 and over. With a diverse background and personal experience, Lorraine has published books covering topics such as mental health, parenting, and entrepreneurship. Now, despite losing her print journalism collaborations during the 2008 recession, Lorraine adapted and became a leading voice in the midlife influencer realm, featured by Oprah Daily, Real Self, and AARP. She is committed to eradicating ageism and empowering people to embrace every decade of their life with positivity and joy. And it was truly a joy to get her perspective. So let's roll up our sleeves. Let's talk marketing with Lorraine Laddish. Lorraine, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing. I'm really excited to have you on as a guest today. I think I'm more excited than you are at this point. (laughs) Impossible. And I'm also really excited because we're going to be talking about influencer marketing, but from the creator point of view, which you are a very well-known and popular creator. But before we dive into just that strategy portion, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better as well, too. As an influencer creator, I'm curious, what was your first influencer partnership? So I was thinking about that, and I am not quite sure, because before I decided to have my own brand online 10 years ago, I was managing somebody else's website for Latina moms, and I was already doing paid things. And I had to be very careful because it could be conflict with that brand. But I would do Twitter parties. I can't remember exactly what the brands were, but I was already getting paid to host Twitter parties. That's the OG, OG part of how you got paid to do things. I love it. And actually, they paid really well. But then when I launched my own brand, I think it was a lip syncing video that I had to do with my kids. And it was because Tori Amos was turning 50, which I was 50, I think already. My eldest was, I think, 13, and her kid was 13. And so she had this song, which I forget what it was, but it's in my YouTube channel. So a bunch of moms got hired to do the lip syncing with their kids. My kids hated every minute of it. It was a disaster to do it. They did not pay very much. But it was shortly after I had launched my website. So for me, it was like, big win. Of course, now I look at it and I am totally embarrassed by it, but it (laughs) happened. (laughs) Everybody has to start. Now, like fast forward, what does that look like for you now? It sounds like you were also very intentional with stepping into this influencer creator space by launching yourself as a brand and having your website as well too. But where are you as a creator now? Is it full-time? Is it part-time? What social networks are you on? Tell us a little bit about that. 
full-time to 100%. I am turning 60 this year, and my brand was started when I turned 50. So the brand is Viva 50, but I am going to continue, I think, with the same thing. I'm not going to rebrand yeah. myself 60 anything because it encompasses. So, But the point is that I made it work, and I didn't know that I was going to be able to. When I started Viva 50 10 years ago, I told my husband, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this profitable. Yeah. I'm going to start it. And I thought it was going to be very hard. Within the first year, I had replaced my income as somebody else's editor-in-chief. So I was ecstatic. So now, of course, I still do it full-time. But what I like to call the ratio of work to income is like less work, more income, which means that I have a way more balanced life right now than I did when I started the website 10 years ago. The website, and you ask me where I am, everywhere. I even have Be Real, which I hardly ever post on, or Clubhouse started, I was on that. Periscope came and went, I was on that. Vine came and went, I was on that. Snapchat came and went for adults, I was on that. So I always at least secure my name on any new social medium that could be something. And I even, I did TikTok and then I got locked out of my own name and now I'm the flawed yogi. <laughs> oh, there you go. But usually I'm Lorraine C. Laddish all over the place and Viva 50 as well. And yes, full time. I'm, this is not my side gig. This is not my money to buy like a jacket. This is your full time gig, which I feel like it's so inspirational. I think that's what people want to do when they dip their toes or step into this world in the creator economy of being an influencer and a creator. They want to be able to make it a full time job, but it is a full time job. There is marketing that is involved in it as well, too. Like you said, there is this branding. There is acquiring your name. I don't even know that everybody thinks about that. I don't know if this is going to be a thing, but if it eventually becomes a thing, I don't have to invent a new name. It's not taken. You are truly building out your brand. Of what you're doing now, what do you love about what you do? But also, what would you pluck out of it? You're like, it would be absolutely perfect if I just didn't have to do this <laughs> along with everything else. What I love is the creativity because I think I need to preface the fact that what I just said with the fact that I have always worked for myself and being almost 60, this means that I have worked for myself for over 40 years. That's a long time. And it also means that I have this work ethic. I have always been a freelancer or self-employed. Nobody needs to tell me what to do. Yeah. I get things done because that's the way my brain is wired. And I work really well independently. I can work for 24 hours straight and then take a break. I'm not afraid of work. So what I love the most is the creativity, learning new things, applying them, and the connections I make online. I have made very tight connections with people who have helped me even with my children when my eldest was very daring. I had everything stolen in Barcelona, I was able to wire a blogger money. When she was in Morocco, I connected with another blogger, another person hosted her in their home. So what I mean is that real life connections that have yeah. lasted for a decade and some of them are newer. The things that I don't like to do, fortunately, I have been working with an agent, Joanna Voss, who you have, I feel, interviewed as well. And we've been working together for six years, going on our seventh. And so she really takes care of all the things I don't like. Nice. Thankfully, she loves to negotiate. <laughs> she loves all that, and I do not. So I started looking for an agent when I was already making money, but I was 
understanding that I did not enjoy the process of negotiating, realizing that I had just undersold myself because they were willing to pay more and they had paid other people yeah. and things like that. So she really does take care of all the things that I do not enjoy and I'm not necessarily great at. Nice. Also, the creativity part. That's got to be so fun and fulfilling as well, too, trying to come up with different ways to execute on partnerships. I've got a question for you later on as we start to talk about that. But I'd also love to learn from you because you're on so many social media networks, which networks, if any, do you go to for inspiration, education and entertainment? Do you find that it's all work? for you as a creator? Or do you still go to these social networks for either one of those three things, inspiration, education, and entertainment? Yeah, I love social media, I have to say. To me, it's not a chore. Even when I share my day, which I do it naturally, it's almost second nature. I don't have to think about it. So when I'm looking for inspiration, I go to the places where I am posting. I do follow people like me, but I find inspiration from people who are very different from me artists, dancers, photographers, video creators, people from other cultures, other languages. Because if I start looking at midlife women in my particular case, I'm going to be doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And then I'm not going to find out and I'm not going to have fun. And then I also sign up sometimes for courses. There is this much younger creator. Her name is Tina Lee. She blew up on Instagram. She's made this course that is very detailed. I paid money that was very well spent. I did her reels course because of course you can learn things online and you can learn them by yourself. But I am a big believer that time is money and I like everything condensed. And I'm like, why am I going to be scattered and trying to figure out all these things if I can have it all in one place, pay someone, figure all this out, do it. And so then I started recreating things that other people had done in my own way. And once you figure out, let's say, a Reels transition, you can't unlearn that. I showed that yesterday in a story. It's like, you can't unlearn it. So a lot of people, and especially older influencers, and I'm going to say older as even in their 30s, okay, which is very young, but I can see that they're like, oh, I'm not a teen. I'm not 20. I cannot learn this. If I am almost 60 and I can do transitions, so can you. I do my own editing and my own shooting. So I find it fun. And once you figure out the trick or the science behind the trick and the art behind the trick, like a slate of hand where you're learning to be a magician, which I am not, then you learn, oh, if they're looking at my eyes, they're not looking here. Or when I cover my face, then I can do this. And then you create your own transitions. Yes. You don't need to learn this step by step. If you learn the concept, then you will be able to create your own transitions. That's amazing. So you go to social media for inspiration as well as education, it sounds like. And you said, is it primarily Instagram that you're going for just that inspiration as well? Or do you find that you're leveraging all of these networks for that? YouTube as well. And I do like to look at other people's blogs because I still have a blog and I still use it and I still make money from it, especially with programmatic ads. But there are some sponsors that still want to blog, oddly. Yeah. But I do not Pinterest, I'll tell you that. Not that I don't like it. It's just I use it because I have to. But I will go to YouTube when I don't know how to do something. Instead of asking someone, first I'll Google it. I like it. You know, when people ask me, how do you blah, blah, blah? 
And I'm like, I Google it. And then I send them the answer. I'm like, wait a minute, don't we all have Google? So first, I will look for it on YouTube. Somebody usually has the answer and they have made a video about that. And then I do it and that's that. If I really can't find the answer, then I will ask someone. But I often wonder when people ask me, how do you do this and how do you do that? I'm like, wait, how do you not know how to look for it? I would probably appreciate someone coming to me and asking not how you're doing it, but about something specific, right? If it's a transition, not how are you doing that transition? It's more of I'm trying this transition, but I'm finding that I'm getting stuck here. Do you have that problem? I feel like that would make the conversation so much juicier than how do you do X, Y, Z? Because exactly why we have Google. Did you Google it before you came to me? People ask me things. And I don't mind. What I love to do is when I see someone who is really putting in a humongous effort into what they're doing, and then they get their first partnership and they ask me how to negotiate, that is a different story. I will help them. And I do a lot. But what I don't like is somebody who's not doing absolutely anything. And they're like, how do you become an influencer? (laughs) And then I'm like, you do this and that. And I have possibly written articles about it. And I have actually written articles about it. So I send them the article and then they're like, oh my goodness, that's so much work. And I'm like, yeah, but so is a nine to five job. (laughs) It is. We were talking about that just before we logged on too. Like it's a job. It's not just posting a scenic picture either. There's a lot of thought that goes into that. Now, I would also imagine that you have to stay very up to date on just the trends that are happening on social media outside of the social networks themselves, is there some place that you go to stay up to date on trends? Is there a newsletter that you follow or a group that you're a part of? Like, where do you stay up to date on those trends? So basically, it is this person, Tina Lee, who has her full-time influencer Facebook group, which you're a part of if you have paid for her course. And she also has a Reels rocket ship course. And sometimes I just go to the creator's Instagram A lot of that really is staying inside the networks to really find out what's going on and listening to other creators. I feel like that is an amazing part about just this industry as well, too. There's so much learning from one another and there's not a competition. It seems to me to be such a welcoming environment. People truly just want to be able to help each other and be able to share their own voice in their own way. Because you had mentioned something earlier about it's not copying because it really isn't. There is no cut and paste. And if you wanted to cut and paste, that's also not what's going to get you more views. People gravitate towards creators and influencers that have a unique twist on it. That's so incredibly important. The other day I did a dance and somebody did that choreography and had to sync it. Yeah. So I used the music and the dance and I'm like, thank you to the person. Georgia Lewis, I think is her name. And I did take her choreography and I did it. But if I put my own spin on it, I might still say inspired by. Once I saw this person my age copy one of my videos exactly. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. And she didn't (laughs) even mention anything. And so then I followed her and she's never said anything. And I felt, oh, but the thing is that I grew up in a family of creatives, writers. My grandfather was a painter. My dad's a writer. I'm a published author. So what I'm saying with that is that I understand copyright. I understand yeah. the value of someone's idea or time they took into putting something together. So it's not like I was doing something completely different. And then I got into social media and whoa, I just 
change the medium in which I was communicating and the way I do it. So I have a lifetime of understanding yeah. and of respect of other people doing something similar to what I'm doing. So I actually think that's a really good segue for the let's talk marketing strategy part, where it's really just your kind of point of view, because my initial question is really how you're balancing brand partnerships with what you're posting on social media for yourself. I would imagine not everything is about the brand partnerships that you're pushing, because that's not what your audience is going to look at. Some of it has got to be part of it, but also how are you balancing that? How are you remaining authentic? Or do you even think that's a challenge? Not for me. And the reason is because there's very little about myself that I will not post online. So usually when a brand comes and says, let's say that I am in midlife and I get a lot, of course, incontinence partnerships, right? I have already spoken about my incontinence a number of times. So in case people forget once in a while, I'll remind them. And a lot of the partnerships I get is in fact, because I have disclosed those things about myself. For example, mental health. I take medication for mental health and I have done therapy and I have done this. And that. So I have already spoken about that. It's not usually that there's a partnership, although it does happen. Is there someone in your family who has this situation? There has to be a personal connection, usually. It's not something that I don't have anything to do with. There are certain things that I will not touch for different reasons. Like I think each person has their things that they will or will not do. I will not do weight loss because I had an eating disorder and I feel it would be not only inauthentic, I don't believe in it, but that doesn't mean I think it's terrible for other people to do it because a lot of people benefit from that and they might need it. I don't. And as that kind of person, I think I need to be true to my values. And there are things that I have partnered with that are true to me that people don't like. That's up to them. That's not my problem. I can sleep at night. I'm thinking just that. I actually don't think I answered your question. And the question is how to balance. So most of what I post is not sponsored. But the beautiful thing about that is that the sponsored posts now, which are, let's say, I have no clue because I'm terrible at math to begin with, but let's say it's 10% of what I post, but that pays the bills. So that's great because I don't have to. And I'm going to tell you something that I think a lot of influencers will relate to is that you're online and you're looking at, oh my goodness, how many partnerships do they have? I'm so jealous because I only have two this month, which those who paid the bills, right? But okay, let's forget that. I don't know what they're getting paid. And so then they're posting and they're using the paid promotion tool because they got a water bottle for free. And so I'm thinking it's a paid promotion. It really isn't. So I do not label when I'm gifted something, I do not label it as paid because I cannot pay my bills with that. The FTC at some point said, if you get something for free, you should label it paid. I don't do that. I do state that I got it for free, that it is gifted, but I feel that it is misleading. And then people are going to think my feed is full of all these paid posts when it's not really. And I try hard I can't always do this because I understand that because of people who did not follow common sense guidelines years ago, now we have to go through lawyers and have every word dissected by someone. So the approval process before, look, 10 years ago, they just gave you something if there was a brief to begin with. And then they would say, okay, post whatever. And we would do it. But then of course, a lot of people did a terrible job or they didn't do it or they use foul language because that's how they speak or a number of things. And so now we sign these very tight contracts 
with all kinds of things. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. You cannot engage in criminal activity. I have signed contracts where it says that. That should be a given. It's not. So apparently, and I get it. I get it. And so the thing is that when a brand comes back and says, okay, these talking points have to be like, you have to say it like this. And I've had to redo a video because I said one word that I wasn't supposed to word that way. And I'll do it because I get it. It's legal stuff that they have to adhere to. And I'm getting paid well, and I don't mind doing what I'm supposed to do. If I didn't do it right, I'll do it again. So what happens when you have so many eyes on content that you are turning in to a brand is that it could lose a little bit or a lot sometimes of your authentic voice. But I understand why it's happening. And in the end, it's work. And I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do it if you don't let me cuss. I cuss in real life and that should be enough. (laughs) Exactly. I don't need to do it everywhere. I do think if I can sum up what you're saying is really being strategic about the brand partnerships that you are saying yes to ensure that there is a good balance. And that is a good little tip of not putting everything as a paid partnership, even if it was gifted, but also mentioning it in the post as well too. I think that's great for brands to hear as well. I've received so many questions about, oh, does everything have to say like hashtag ad? I gave them this gift, but I didn't expect anything in return. It's not black or white. It's this gray area where you're like, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And I think that you're right. You want to be attractive to brand partners. So you do have to be incredibly strategic and use your paid partnership, that functionality a little bit more strategically as well too. Now, do you find because you put so much of yourself out there that I'm going to put air quotes on this, that the right brands for you are coming to you because they feel Mm -hmm. like they know you. Yes. She had an eating disorder, so let's have her talk about this or whatnot. Yes. I even got recently something, I'm originally a writer, and I have gotten writing opportunities, which is something I miss sometimes, writing, just writing. Yeah. And it was, one of them is about being a mother with depression, clinical depression, and I'm in the middle of all that. And it doesn't pay as well as social media brand partnerships, but it's something I love. Yeah. So that usually, almost everything comes through social media. So that is why I make it a point of being on every platform that I can handle, because I never know where they are going to find me or why. That's true. Even more so, there are a lot of things that I do that have nothing to do with my social media. Because I became, and I was a fitness instructor when I was young, But then I became a yoga instructor in my 50s. And I went, of course, I'm compulsive. So I went 500 hours instead of 200, which is a stench. (laughs) I like that about you, though. (laughs) Now I'm doing improv. Let's see if I'll end up being an actress. (laughs) I can see you on the big screen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking more like local stages, but oh. But the point being that, so I get hired to do things that nobody will see on my socials, like create an exercise plan for women who have incontinence. And this is going to go on some path that somebody created. So a lot of the stuff has nothing to do with posting on my socials. And that is incredible because I don't have to clutter my feed with a bazillion. And I also try, like, even when we do get sponsorships, I don't like to do them back to back Yeah, because I think it doesn't look good. So I will try to create and I have enough non-sponsored content that I can fit in between. I also think it speaks to 
what you had mentioned earlier about what you love about what it is that you do. It's the connections is building these relationships. Like when you are saying yes to things that you don't see the immediate, oh, I'm going to get paid for this. When you're working on building relationships, that also is what is bringing in the stuff as well. It's like you're attracting it, not to get too down the rabbit hole of putting out what you want to be able to attract. But I do believe in that. And I think as a creator, it's a great mentality to adopt instead of, oh, I have to do that. Because I think that's where inauthenticity is born is, oh, I have to. And then I'm forced to. And then, okay, where's the next thing? Where's the next thing? You have to be able to breathe through it. And does this align with who I am and who I'm representing? Because when it does, they will find you because you have an audience that you've gained. You've built out a community that trusts you. And that's essentially what is so successful about partnering with influencers and creators like yourself. I've had my Instagram account for 12 years. It's not explosive growth by any means, but it does mean that I've known some of the people who follow me for over 10 years. But I also think that's also very important for anybody who's listening to hear is that it's not explosive. There is virality. There's those viral moments. But then there is like the steady. It's more about steadiness and consistency, I think. Now, I am also really just curious because earlier we talked about being a creator and an influencer is a business. Will you break down like what goes into a partnership? How much prep are you doing? You said that you do your own camera work and editing. Do you have multiple cameras going on? Walk me through. Today, I am working on a paid partnership post. That is true to a certain extent, but I am also married to a professional photographer (laughs) who was a photojournalist for most of his life and then went into writing. And now he has to take my picture. So when it comes to pictures he takes the pictures. But we have had to redefine what that looked like. Because when my husband used to work as a journalist, you go out and you take your pictures, you turn them in. The New York Times, he worked for the New York Times, they would publish whatever pictures they chose. That's it. Yeah. Nobody's editing in front of you or choosing. With me, we would go out at the very beginning and I would be like, let me see. (laughs) No, we need to do it from this angle, that angle, and Instagram, that's what they're doing. And now we have a much better way of doing things where I will lay out, let's say it's a paid partnership, but he also does my non-paid stuff. But if it's a paid partnership, then I print the brief. I'm a printout person and read it and take it with me and all that. In your hand. In my hand. Let's say that I have in one month four partnerships. I will try and take advantage of the day and do them all in one day if I can. If I can't, then let's say that I do just one. So I take that brief, I look at it, and I usually do the visuals first. It helps me just do the visuals. And if it's a reel, usually I ask for my husband to come and do it with me because I feel a huge responsibility when I'm being paid. Yeah. And now we get hired as a couple, actually. And actually, we're doing something else together soon next week. So he is mainly the camera person and he will be the video person as well. I usually do the editing of the video because I'm more online and I know what's going on with reels and stuff like that. Unless it's a voiceover, he will do that. Not the voiceover, but the editing of it. I remember a partnership last year where they were paying up so much money in my world that I was like, there's no way that we're going to sit home and take the pictures here. Yeah. 
Like we have to just blow this out of the water. And we did. We went to different locations and it involved activities. And so we made, we got on our paddle boards. I went out and I did yoga on a paddle board and I didn't have to. They didn't ask me to do that, but I was like, no, I'm going to, because not only for them who are paying me all this money, but for myself to be able to look at the end product and say, it's worth the money they gave me. And because it also shows future partners absolutely what I can do. So there is no, this is how I do it all the time, because sometimes it'll be a reel. Sometimes it will be several reels. Sometimes yeah. it will be a blog post. So there's all kinds of different things that happen. And then I also take extra photos in general that could be used for a brand purpose. Let's say it's an awareness campaign and they need my father who has, I do a lot of health. And so my father has had a number of health issues happen. So we do a lot of health awareness. And so when I go to Spain and visit my dad, my husband takes his camera and I tell my dad who dislikes having his picture taken with a passion, I need pictures with you, daddy, because he's 84 now, because of work. Yeah. And so I said, so you won't have this crappy picture that I took of you, like a selfie in the living room. We'll have a good picture. And I do that with my kids, even with friends sometimes. So we have an archive of pictures that are ready to go that we've never used and that will only be for this brand. So it's like a lifestyle. My God, I love, love it. It's your job. Yes, but it's also a lifestyle. Like I see everything through that lens. So if I'm out gardening, maybe one day I'll say to my husband, hey, take a picture of me doing this because I might need a gardening picture. And we've done that. We've done like a whole series during the pandemic, for example, where we were not supposed to leave our homes. Everything was supposed to be, most things were supposed to be shot at home. We bought new furniture because the house was looking awful. <laughs> and I bought props <laughs> and a bunch of leisure wear, homeware, whatever, loungewear, athleisure, because that's what brands wanted. So yeah. if I'm out shopping, I'm like, oh, look, this could be for American Heart Month or whatever it's called. And I buy a heart that I saw at a local store and then I already have it. I would even book a hotel if I had to. And I've looked into it. If I get a partnership that is merits that, to be able to give them the best background, even if my bathroom sucks, which it does. But I found ways around that. It's all about the angles. <laughs> it is, but people don't understand that. So really, I'm just realizing I don't have a breakdown of this is what happens. What happens is that I evaluate what the message is, what it could look like. Once I have all the pictures, visuals, or video, then I write the caption. I do it in reverse, unless there needs to be a storyline to the real and overlays that the brand has to approve before I even shoot. That happens too. And sometimes there's a back and forth and finally you can shoot and then there you go, you do it. But it's something that because I do it all the time, I would say that I possibly create content every day in some manner. You're building out your repository of things that you're able to post either organically or for brand partnerships. And this is something consistent that I've heard from the creators that I speak to is that yeah, my brain's always on this. Uh -huh. It's always on. I'm at an event or I'm not in an event, it just going about my day. And I see something that I normally wouldn't because this is the world you live in. And I do think it is part of being in the job as a marketer myself. I will go to the store. I have such a great appreciation for 
excellent marketing campaigns that then inspire me, that then I either take a picture or I save it. I feel like that's the trigger. But I also think that's the creative part of our brain as well, too. Like, ooh, I want to save this for later. I don't know for what yet, but I feel like I may need it in the future because this looks too good. Or maybe I'll even not force it, but also this is too good not to do something with it right now. So I love the always on thinking. Do you find that is a challenge for you? Or what would you say is your biggest challenge as a creator influencer? Possibly the algorithm, but I think that's everyone's challenge. So I don't spend a lot of time blaming the algorithm for anything. My husband might say otherwise, because I complain to him. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I tried to put blinders on. I think it was around Christmas that reels were getting way fewer views. And I was like, oh my goodness, but everybody else was too. So I was like, what am I going to do another backup? And sometimes a reel gets 250,000 views and sometimes it gets fewer. And so I just realized that I'm not posting for views. I'm posting for different reasons. Sometimes it's because I want to get a message out there. Another time it's because I want to show brands what I can do. Another one is because, let's say, I want to travel more, so I post more travel, even though I know it will get fewer views, but it's going to get me maybe another trip. Yeah. And maybe I won't have to post that trip on my feed, but they will see what we can do. And so when colleagues tell me, oh, my reels are doing so poorly, but I really have to share this thing or I want to share this thing, I'm like, share it. Yeah. I always make space like it's, today is my eldest 22nd birthday. Of course, I made a reel. (laughs) (laughs) But I also try to make it in a way where people will be inspired by that. Yeah. By this 22-year-old who is life-loving, and this is what she's accomplished and how I learned from her. And that is my message of my whole, let's say, Instagram or my whole everything is not really how to embrace age when you're over 50, is how to embrace age at every age. Yeah. And my kid is killing it in that sense. So I incorporate my family into that. It's not all about me either. I love that they are open to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I think that there are some families who just do not want to be on at all. I know my husband doesn't post anything and will be very strategic if he's in the picture. I'm like, okay, I'm going to post this. Are you okay with posting? I'm not an influencer, but there is so much that goes into it when you decide to include your family in it as well. But I also think that's who you are. So you're always speaking to who you are authentically. And I love that. I want to tell you why my family says yes. So I was a single mom on food stamps at 45. That was after a divorce. And I was laid off from all my writing gigs, journalism gigs, everything. And so when I met my now husband and I got back on my feet online, everybody understood and I explained it very well to my kids. This is how mommy makes money. So we also did a lot of cool stuff back then. We went to Disney, social media moms conferences. We traveled. The kids have had so many great experiences. And I remember my youngest was saying as a little kid, Mommy, I don't think this is the time to be tweeting. I'm like, no, no, this is why we're here. (laughs) I have to tweet because this is why we're in Disney. So they grew up watching me do that. And of course, they all went through a time in their teens where they weren't so happy doing it. But I would explain exactly how much money I was getting and why they had to do it. And they did it. Yeah. And now there's almost a feeling of, hey, I haven't been in your feed for a while. What's up? (laughs) Do we need to schedule a session? (laughs) And then 
my husband, who is a very private person, even though he's an author, I like to think of myself as fabulous, like a little bit eccentric, as a little bit out there. And I am. Flamboyant. Okay, that's the word. I am. My husband is not. He's quite the contrary. And the interesting thing is that when he started seeing the money coming in, he's like, what? <laughs> of course, I'm going to be in the picture. <laughs> so now he has clothes that we only bring out for photo shoots because otherwise they're going to be stained with chlorine from the pool because he does the pool and he's a guy and that's how he is. So we have wardrobe for him that is just for pictures. And he has had to be in campaigns. Like last year, we did something for, it was a sexual lubricant. (laughs) (laughs) I asked him, he's like, well, everybody had sex, right? Not everybody, maybe, but. Well, they all should. (laughs) So we did it. It was great. And then we started getting more work as a couple and it was great. We were cast as talent together. And first I had to learn lines and he eventually said lines as well. And he understood how hard it was to deliver lines. Now that he's a part of the whole thing, he watched me because before it was mostly me doing it. And then I would go on a conference and I would post about it, but he wasn't seeing me work away from home and then catch up on my Instagram at night, for example. Yeah, that's true. And then he saw how I was taking all the this video or he was doing it. And then at night I would sit there and do it all. There's something else that I do when I travel and I'm working. I do not drink. Like I'm a social drinker, but if I am on the job, you will not see me drinking just because I need to be a hundred percent. And I want to give that client my everything. So if I'm going to sleep six hours, I'm going to sleep well. Yes. And I'm going to be okay the next day. And then the last day (laughs) I will celebrate. You're like, let's relax, pour the wine. But that's been me even when I was young. It's this work ethic that I think that one needs to have. Yeah. And drinking can slow you down, right? It slows down the mind. It makes you groggy. And then you're not on top of your game. For me, and then I wake up the next day like, what? I have to get up early and deliver yeah, you have lines. To. What are you talking about? No, like I personally can't. Yeah. No, you have to be able to deliver your best self. And I think you have such an intense work ethic in like the best way possible that any brand that you're representing has <laughs> got to just love you and be like, let's sign her up again. Because it's the quality of work and it is the work ethic as well, too. I think that's really hard to find because right now we're living in this world where everyone's an influencer and everyone's a creator. There's been these conversations of influencer rates. That's going to be a bubble that pops. I actually don't think that's the bubble. I think the amount of people that are getting into the game and being successful, I think that's what's going to burst. And then what's going to happen is we're going to have such a group of influencers and creators that understand it's a business, understands there is a lot of work ethic that goes behind it, that fuels it so that you can make it your business. So it is how you're bringing money in because it's not free. Nothing's free. If I could eradicate anything, it would be all of these quick side hustles. Like literally nothing's free. Everyone wants to work for two hours and get six figures, which that would be fantastic. That's also could just be me. I just don't believe that's real. Well, I think it's possible to do that, but it requires a lot of front loading. Even when I launched my website, I launched with a bunch of articles. I had all the social media going. I was putting ads on Facebook for people to sign up and get people to like the page. I treated it as a business, like an investment into certain things that were going to help me get those partnerships and be able to deliver. 
Yes. And it's not always, oh, I have a million followers, honestly, because I don't. I have across all social media, I think I have between 250,000 and 300,000, but that's between everything. Instagram, I don't even have 40,000. I think I'm at 38 and something, 38,000 something. But the thing is, they're not just looking for numbers of people following you. They're looking for the interactions. They're looking to the quality of the pictures. They're looking at, do you hand in once you're, you've done a partnership? Like, I think people are shocked when I'm at the business meeting and I print out the brief and I'm referencing it as we're talking. And they're like, whoa, you printed the brief? I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. It feels so old school, the printing. <laughs> Even if I had it on an iPad, once I'm done, I use a tool called Influence Kit where we send all the links in one place. And before that, when there was no Influence Kit, I would put it all on a spreadsheet or whatever and turn it in immediately. I wouldn't wait for the brand to hunt me down and then I send my invoice and that this is how it goes. And it goes fast. And it doesn't matter whether you're an influencer or anything else. It doesn't matter what you do. If you work for yourself and you are easy to work with, that's everything. That's everything. If you do a lot of the heavy lifting, I've been on the other side hiring influencers, not at an agency, but when we had to do some influencer stuff at our website I managed, I know how hard it is. I know when people go, it's horrible and all this. So I don't do it. I just don't do it. And that is why I have been able to work myself for 40 years. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I will continue no matter what happens, whether I do this or that or the other, I'm still going to be a reliable professional. Absolutely. I almost feel like we should call this episode work ethic. Get it. <laughs> yes. You've given me so much of your time. I do have one final question. If you knew then what you know now, what's the advice that you give to yourself? Nothing, because I think that I did what I had to do at the time and that I've evolved as things have changed. I started with Twitter and now nobody cares about Twitter or they do for the wrong reasons, but it's now we're making money doing other stuff. But I tell people like, we did Twitter parties and they're like, what? <laughs> what what's that? <laughs> I also feel like old school ways are coming back because like Twitter parties brought people in. They're going to continue to bring people in. And now I feel like we've cycled enough where it's time to start back in here. How can we do them slightly differently? So again, that's probably another episode. But I love the fact that you're like, there is no advice. You have to get through what you get through to get to where you're at now. And you are thriving. I will say it for you. You don't have to. I see it. I follow you. I love talking to you. You're an absolute joy. Thank you so much for coming on and just, just sharing your point of view. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. So sometimes you get lost in the daily grind and I appreciate being able to get inspired all over again. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed listening just as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. I could clearly talk to her for days because we went on and on and on. I do have some key takeaways for you, though. The first takeaway I have is really about balancing brand partnerships with social media posts and remaining authentic. Lorraine posts very little about herself that she wouldn't post online. So when brands approach her, they usually ask for partnerships that she's already talked about, right? So it's all on brand for her. There are things that she will not partner with, such as weight loss, because it goes against her values and having previously had an eating disorder. 
But she also shares that most of what she posts is not sponsored, but the sponsored posts pay the bills. And at the end of the day, the balance is really about working with brands that are true to her values and interests. And that's great advice for any creator. And also for the brands that are listening, really want to get brand alignment with your creators. Number two, the influencer industry has really evolved over time. And really to stay in the business of it, you have to keep up with changing trends and platforms. She had a great example of when she started on Twitter, hosting Twitter parties, which were popular at the time. I'm going to revive them. But for now, that's just not what she does. Fast forward. And now her focus is on Instagram and TikTok. It's really vital to stay up to date with industry trends and remember to be flexible in adapting to those changes that the creator economy is going to bring your way, whether you want it to or not, my friends. Number three. Some challenges of influencer marketing can be felt on both ends of the spectrum, like measuring ROI. And there is a lot of empathy for dealing with unresponsive influencers. It really emphasizes the need for clear communication, transparency, and accountability between brands and influencers. I would love to hear what insights you walked away with from today's episode. It's a little different with the creator's point of view, but I'm really excited about it. So make sure you Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, drop some comments. Definitely mention us. Would love it. Let's talk marketing pod. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Let me know if you guys want more information. I'm obsessed with them. So I'd be happy to share my insights. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Lorraine. And you can always get a hold of me on LinkedIn. Just search Katya Allison. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.